And what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 266 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Facebook and Twitter for the latest updates. Uh, Great to be back with you folks this week. Uh, Great guest Friday last week uh, with John Veneziano. Great to have John uh, back on the program. We finally uh, made our way to a Revolution game uh, a week ago. Uh, So we talked a little bit about that, talked uh, mostly about the Revolution, kind of what's next for them um, as they are starting the League's Cup, which is a competition involving the MLS and the uh, Liga MX League in Mexico. So uh, the Revs will be doing that for the next couple of weeks. They did have a game um, over the weekend. We will talk about that, but uh, great to talk to John. So uh, if you have not listened to that, you can go ahead um, and do that. Uh, Excited this week. Got another uh, returning guest, uh, Evan Greasing, will come back uh, to talk some Red Sox ahead of the trade deadline next week. We'll obviously talk uh, plenty of Red Sox today, um, kind of their options, but we'll go more in-depth with Evan later this week, so that'll be out for you folks on Friday. So I think we will get to the Red Sox at some point, but we are going to kick things off today with the Patriots, who will begin training camp this week. Uh, Players or veterans will report tomorrow. Uh, Two Gillette Stadium rookies reported on Friday. A couple of rookies finally getting their uh, rookie deal signed. Christian Gonzalez and Keon White. The Patriots have signed all of their draft picks from this spring's draft. So kind of give you guys a little bit of a training camp preview. Um, If you will, Patriots will be uh, hitting the practice field on uh, Tuesday doing conditioning. Then practices are open to the public uh, down at the practice fields behind Gillette Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then Sunday this week. I'm hoping to get out there on Sunday. So uh, any listeners that are going to be out there on Sunday, I will likely be out there. So you can come say hello if you'd like. Um, So these are the first dates open to the public. I imagine there'll be dates open next week as well. Um, But it's exciting. You know, it means that uh, football season is right here. You know, if you're a person that, you know, loves training camp and loves kind of the beginning part of the season, you know, this is a great time for you. So again, practices Wednesday, everyone reporting tomorrow. So uh, it is, I think, worth noting Patriots do have a couple of guys that are going to start training camp on the physically unable to perform list or the pup list couple of players, I think, still rehabbing um, off-season surgery. Micah Wenu um, is one of those players who uh, will be definitely a key part of the Patriots' offensive line. So I think not necessarily a surprise. Uh, he had ankle surgery in the off-season, so be interesting to see when he comes back. Uh, Cody Davis is also on the list. Veteran special teamer played in just just six games for the Patriots last season. Um, I think is also dealing with um, an injury as well. So it'll be interesting to see when those guys return. A rookie defensive lineman, Justice Tavai, 
um, the brother of Jelani Tavai, um, is on the PUP list to start. So, you know, I think not necessarily surprising for two guys that had, you know, injuries last season or, or surgeries during the offseason. Um, so it basically is just you're unable to perform at the beginning, but the team can activate you um, at any point. So, you know, Davis, I think part of that special teams group. So you hope he can get back. I mean, Owenu, obviously, I think most important out of those guys, but I have to imagine he'll be back rather soon. But, you know, I think it's a good opportunity, though. If he's not going to be available for the first couple of days, perhaps it's a good opportunity for, you know, some of those interior linemen that the Patriots drafted, you know, or brought in. So I think look for someone like Antonio Maffi, one of the Patriots draft picks in the spring. He could be someone that gets some looks um, at right guard. City Sal also could get looks um, at guard as well. So the Patriots drafting both of those guys. And Jake Andrews also has some experience playing guard, another draft pick. So, you know, I think good opportunity for some of those guys to get some looks in camp when they maybe normally wouldn't, you know, if someone like a Wendy was, health, was healthy. Um, it probably makes sense to start with the offensive line um, and try to figure out, you know, what the best alignment for this team is going to be. Um, and I think, honestly, Trent Brown really is the guy that I think is the key cog, where if he is healthy, he is motivated, playing at the playing to the best of his ability, I think that this is going to be a very, very good offense. I think a lot hinges on him because, you know, he's the guy protecting that blind side. He's the guy that has to deal with a lot of, you know, top pass rushers and, you know, for whatever reason, just didn't look himself last season. Whether it was inconsistency, took a lot of penalties, you know, had, you know, an illness at some point. So, you know, you hope that he can be fully healthy, fully motivated, actually. If you pay attention to that sort of thing, uh, he was on Kendrick Bourne's Instagram yesterday, had a car delivered to Gillette. So maybe a good sign that he is there early. So, you know, we'll see. But I think he is really the most important piece on the offensive line. You know, I think the interior is pretty much set. You know, I think Owenu, once he returns, is probably going to be plugged right back into that starting group with David Andrews and Cole Strange. Right tackle, I think, is worth watching. Connor McDermott is back. Patriots also picked up Calvin Anderson and Riley Reef, both guys that have played both tackle spots. So I think given Reef's, um, you know, kind of being being a veteran and being a guy that's been around, you probably think that he's the guy that's going to get the first crack at that right tackle position. So, you know, I think worth watching that spot because I think if Reef is not really who the Patriots imagined he was going to be, has doesn't have a good camp, maybe there's someone like McDermott or Anderson that takes over to the Patriots, bring someone else in, you know, via free agency. I know that that, they, I think it was DJ Fluker, they had him in for a workout at some point a couple of, I think it was a couple of months ago, maybe it may have been during uh, the, the mini camp. Um, so I think, you know, Reef being on a one-year deal, it's not necessarily like he definitely has a spot on this team. 
Um, I think the Patriots would hope that, you know, a guy that you sign in free agency, you hope that he makes the team. So, you know, I think that's another spot to watch. Um, but I think, you know, I know we spent a lot of time on this program talking about the, the wide receivers and the perceived like lack of talent or whatever people want to say. I think that that can't be further from the truth. You know, I think the Patriots are going to get a really good season from Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, and I think it's going to make a lot of people forget about Jacoby Myers. And I don't want to say that in a negative way because I think Jacoby was very, very productive here. I think coming in as an undrafted free agent, really, no one knew what to expect from him. But he was good here for a period of time. And I think it's no disrespect to him, but I think someone like Smith-Schuster has much more of kind of an explosive ability, especially, you know, making plays with his, making plays with his legs after catches. You know, oftentimes, Myers was a guy that would make catches, was very, you know, sure-handed, but really kind of wouldn't give you much after the catch. And I think Smith-Schuster is a guy that is very athletic, can, you know, outrun defensive backs and, you know, turn those short, you know, five to seven yard completions into 25 yard gains. And I think being able to have a receiver like that that can make plays like that is just going to make things so much easier for the offense. So I think he's going to have a good season. Um, I think that, you know, I was briefly listening to 98.5. I know that that's crazy for someone like me, but, you know, someone said something that Juju is going to make a couple of plays in the first couple of games of the season that is going to make you forget about Jacoby Myers and make you look like, okay, here's why they got this guy. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Does sound like he's going to be healthy and ready to go for, um, for training camp. I think that was reported a couple of days ago. Uh, and then you obviously got Devontae Parker with that restructured deal. So he's back. I thought he was really good when he was healthy this year. So I think look for him to be a focal point of the offense. And I think a lot of us are expecting a big, big jump from Tyquan Thornton as well, kind of being that speed, take the top off the defense kind of guy. But the guys that I'm most curious to watch in training camp, Kayshawn Booty and Demario Douglas, I think both sixth round draft picks, I think, are really going to get an opportunity to, you know, show what they can do. Maybe not getting first team reps, but I think kind of just to see what they can do with probably the second team, maybe some snaps with the first team. I think I'm very curious to see, you know, Bourne, I think, add in that group as well. How do the Patriots use those three receivers um, is something to be to pay attention to. You know, I like the running back group. I think I would prefer them to add someone there. And, you know, as I said on Twitter last week, Patriots did bring in a couple running backs for, for workouts, Leonard Fournette and Daryl Henderson. Obviously, anyone that's listened to this program for the last couple of months knows that I uh, really think that Leonard Fournette would be a great addition uh, to the Patriots. So I think a good sign there that they brought him in that maybe they decide to bring him in because I think he's someone that gives you legitimate power back, especially, you know, inside the five. And 
you know, I think Ramondre, it's not exactly his game, you know, to kind of be that power runner. And I think Fournette's a guy that, I mean, you don't really have to analyze how much of a power runner he is, um, but he's also improved his game as a pass catcher. So I think my guess is the Patriots are going to look at, you know, Pierre Strong, Ty Montgomery, and Kevin Harris, figure out what they have there. And if maybe they're not as confident in those three guys, maybe they bring on Fournette. I think it would be a good move. You know, Pierre Strong, I think, is someone that has a future with this team and I think could really start to develop his skills this season um, because they think the Patriots need as many, you know, threats with the football as they can get on offense. Um, and I think if you include the tight ends with Henry and Gesicki, all the receivers I mentioned, Ramondre Stevenson, you know, if you can add Pierre, Str- Pierre Strong to that list, I think, you know, you got a pretty good offense. And, you know, quarterback, I think, interesting to see how Zappi does in his second camp. Um, I think I'm curious to see Trace McSorley to see, you know, what he is as a quarterback, you know, hasn't really made much of an impact in the NFL in his career, but kind of curious to, you know, see what he can do. Does he outplay Zappi at some point? You know, I think that there's a legitimate chance that there's a quarterback battle, but for that backup spot. Um, So curious to see that. You know, Malik Cunningham is someone that I'm fascinated uh, to see how the Patriots use in training camp. You know, he's listed as a wide receiver, but clearly athletic enough to maybe be a, you know, scout team quarterback or, you know, whatever. But I think he's the one guy on the offense that I think I'm most excited to see um, in training camp. So I think a lot for this team rides on the offensive line and the protection for Mac Jones. And I think if you get quality protection, you are going to be a quality football team. And I really believe that. And I really believe that this is a team that's going to surprise people. I know I may have said that last year, but I think now with an experienced offensive coordinator, you know, a different offensive line coach, hopefully an improved line, this is a team that could really be very good offensively. You know, I think defensively, this is going to be a very good team again. Um, I think that they have a lot of guys that do a bunch of things well. Um, you know, the linebacker group, I think, is really deep this year. Judon, Bentley, and Josh Uche. Um, but kind of curious to see some of the other guys. Uh, Jelani Tavai, Mac Wilson, Anthony Jennings. How do those guys play? You know, Chris Board as well. Although I feel like he's someone that's going to be playing primarily on special teams. Uh, defensive line, really hoping that Christian Barmore can be healthy this year and make an impact. Uh, curious to see about, I know there was something in the spring about Lawrence Guy and his contract, so perhaps something to pay attention to there. Um, Keon White, I think, is definitely the one guy I'm excited to watch on the defensive line. Second round pick from Georgia Tech. Um, I think really with a good camp could prove that he's another guy that can be a pass rusher on the line. Um, 
you know, secondary, Christian Gonzalez probably gets a lot of starter reps. You know, very curious to see how he does in the uh, joint practices that the Patriots will have later this summer. You know, Jonathan Jones, Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, Marcus Jones, you know, a lot of those guys that I think are going to be exciting to watch. Jalen Mills as well. Um, I do think that someone like Josh Bledsoe could get some looks in training camp as well. Uh, I think someone that the Patriots are hoping can make a little bit of a jump because I think without McCourty, it may fall to Mills and Bledsoe and whoever to be kind of that center field free safety. Um, So kind of curious to see what the Patriots do there as far as special teams Worth paying attention to is the Patriots, you know, drafted a kicker and a punter, Bryce Berenger, the punter, Chad Ryland, the kicker. So curious to see if there's a position battle there. Um, one last note, I think that's something that I think is probably still on people's minds. What happens with Jack Jones's legal situation? Now, I believe that he is due in court August 18th. You know, but I clearly is still going to be able to practice, I think, with the team. So, you know, you'll just kind of have to find out when it gets closer what his availability is going to be. But I have to imagine he'll be practicing. So, you know, nothing really on that on that front. Um, I think, you know, just kind of looking at the roster was kind of what I was going to do today. Um, but I think, you know, it'll be exciting to go to those uh, training camp practices if you're into that sort of thing, just to see, you know, different guys getting different opportunities. You know, you would hope that with the experience in the offensive coordinator, the Patriots are going to have better communication um, and the red zone play is going to be better. You know, I think that Something that I've said probably a couple times, maybe even on this podcast, but I think for the Patriots to be successful, it's, you know, better communication with, you know, what's going on in the plays and that sort of thing. You know, especially in the red zone, when you do need touchdowns and you do need to be able to to execute, I think if the Patriots are better in the red zone and they keep the turnovers down, you know, and the offensive line is healthy and effective. I think this is a, this team has a chance to be a very good offense. And I think an offense that's going to surprise a lot of people that a lot of us are like, oh, you know, you could have gotten Hopkins. You know, you could have gotten more and more, could have gotten more explosive. But I think people are sleeping on this offense. I think nationally, I think a lot of people are kind of underestimating this team. So you would hope that the team knows this, you know, and comes into camp with a sense of urgency because it really seemed like that in the spring mini camps that a lot of what was being said was very positive that, okay, we have a fresh start. We have a clean slate. We're going to really attack this off season. So I think look for that in the first couple days of camp, you know, guys playing with more urgency. Now, obviously, there are going to be things that happen during training camp that probably aren't good. You know, training camp's not always entirely positive. There could be 
some negative things that happen. You know, we keep our fingers crossed for injuries and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think we have to remember that not all of this that goes on at camp is going to be positive. They're probably going to be some growing pains like there is with any professional sports season. So, you know, I think important for us to keep that in mind with these first couple of days. But on the other hand, it is training camp. You know, we don't know what this team is going to be between now and the season opener against the Eagles. You know, a lot could change. So I think just as a rule of thumb, don't get too high or too low with training camp. Don't get too upset if someone's not playing well. Don't get too over the moon if someone is playing really well. You know, I think you want to kind of stay level um, as much as you can. So the Patriots will open. Let me just find their schedule real quick. Uh, they will open the preseason against the Houston Texans. I think it's August 10th. Yes, August 10th is their preseason opener against the Houston Texans. That will be at Gillette, and then the Patriots will travel for their final two preseason games against Green Bay and Tennessee. Patriots will have joint practices with both of those teams uh, in August as well. So I think I'm going to move on, talk a little bit about the Red Sox. Um, so a successful weekend for the Red Sox, winning Two out of three against the New York Mets. However, the hard thing with this team, you know, after, you know, I know we said this last week and the week before that this nine-game stretch post-All-Star break was going to be really, really important. And I know that I said six or seven wins, and I feel good about this team going forward. Unfortunately, the Red Sox won five. They were five and four, you know, dropped two out of three in Oakland, which was admittedly very frustrating. You know, Red Sox lose the first game against the Mets, you know, lost three in a row. Back-to-back wins against the Mets Saturday and Sunday. You know, so it's hard. It's hard to really figure out this team because I think being in the spot that they're in two games back, of the last wild card is roughly where they were at the all-star break. So it's not like they've made any progress, but at the same time, it's not gotten worse. Sure. Did they have opportunities in Oakland to kind of close the gap a little bit more? Absolutely. But I think, you know, if you look at the standings and you look at the two teams that are, you know, battling with the Red Sox, the Yankees being even, in the wild card chase two games back. And then Toronto being that final wild card team two games ahead. Red Sox have done pretty well against both of these teams this year. And both of those teams are not good against the American League East. You know, looking at the Yankees and the Blue Jays against the AL East, it is uh, not pretty. The Blue Jays, seven wins and 20 losses against the division. The Yankees, 13 wins against 17 losses. The Red Sox, 16 wins against 11 losses. 
So I think, you know, it's 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 kind of unclear about where where they are. But I would say, you know, chasing or battling with both of those teams, I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. The Red Sox have not lost against Toronto this season. I believe that they're seven and zero. Go back to those standings very quickly, um, and I believe that they have a good record against the Yankees as well. Might need to look into this a little bit closer. Just bear with me. Um, let's find the Red Sox real quick. So. You know, it's it's tough because I think on one hand, you want to say, oh, okay, they didn't really make any progress. They're still where they are. You know, and does this mean that you believe in this team going forward? You know, but then on the other hand, it's like, okay, you haven't really lost any progress and the teams near you are teams that you've, done pretty well against this year, you know, so it's, it's, it's really hard to figure out, you know, I think that this team is a solid team, you know, and I think, man, I can't find the, the splits about which teams they're good out. Oh, here we go. Um, so, okay, records against Toronto. Yes, 7 and 0. And the Red Sox are 5 and 1 against the Yankees. So, I think just to finish the the point, you know, those are two teams that the Red Sox have done pretty well against, but you know, I think that they have a pretty good group. I think that, you know, the pitching has held up over the last couple of months. And this is even, even, even not being fully healthy. You know, they have pitched for weeks with three starting pitchers. And they've held up pretty well. You know, the offense, I think, is fairly consistent. You know, I think that Duran continues to do his thing and be really exciting. Tristan Casas continues to build off of the great stretch of play he's had over the last couple of months. You know, Rafael Devers is starting to pepper in some homers. You know, this is an offense that I think is starting to figure it out and be more consistent. The pitching has really been solid. You know, so it's just a hard position to be in. I think this is a team that I think I'm very curious to see how they do against Atlanta. You know, they have an off day and then they play Atlanta twice. How do they do in these two games? If they win both of these games, I think I'm fully all the way in to be like, okay, you need to be buyers at the trade deadline. You need to be aggressive. Now, you know, does that mean that you have to go get Shohei Otani and trade your entire farm system? I don't think that that's what that means. I think it does mean, though, that if you want to go out and get a starting pitcher, you need to be aggressive to go do that. And I think that they can do it without 
giving up like a major prospect, um, you know, whatever else they're looking for, whether it's a right-handed reliever because they have a lot of lefties, you know, is a left-handed hitting middle infielder, is that something they're looking for? You know, the great thing is Trevor Story's coming back and I think may kind of work itself out in, 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 in terms of, you know, kind of clean, clearing up that log jam that you have in the middle infield with, you know, Yu Chang, Kike, Christian Arroyo, Pablo Reyes. You have a lot of guys there, and I think it's too many. So they have to make a decision once Story comes back. Um, but I do think that, you know, it's, it's hard to know because it's eerily similar to where they were last year, kind of being close in the wild card and kind of doing a little bit of selling and buying. It was kind of weird. Um, but I think this team still has an ability to be, you know, a dangerous team down the stretch. And I don't think the playoffs are out of the question. I think being two games back, you're well within your rights to continue to try to buy to kind of improve your, improve where you are. You know, I do think that that defense, that in middle infield log, log jam is going to take care of itself and you can deal one of those guys. You know, Adam Duvall is an interesting guy because I think as much as Duran's been great being in the lineup, you lose Duvall, do you feel like you have enough in that outfield? You know, with Yoshida Verdugo and Ref Snyder as the other guys. Do you feel like you need to bring in another outfielder? So I think that's something to think about. But I think personally, Duran needs to play as much as he possibly can. I know that he's had issues against lefties, so it's like, okay, that's why you like having Ref Snyder around, because he's really good against lefties. I think Duvall's pretty decent as well. So I think... If this team could get another starter at the deadline, I feel pretty good about their chances the rest of the season because Bayo's been good. Paxton's been good. I know that they've had some, you know, <laughs> questionable outings recently, but I think you ride both of those guys. You have Carter Crawford, who's been, you know, somewhat decent. You bring in another starter. Then it's like, okay. You feel like you have a pretty solid rotation, you know. So I think that they can still make a run, and I think there's pros to being buyers, but there might be pros to being sellers too because they think if you do that, you give some of the younger guys more of an opportunity. But I think, you know, are people going to be okay with that, with them kind of punting on the rest of the season when – they're fairly close. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. You know, we'll talk more about kind of the deadline options on Guest Friday. But, you know, this is a team that I think <clears throat> there's definitely some part of the fan base that believes and believes in this team and believes that they can make a run and make the playoffs with 62 games left and being only two back and being two back of a team that you've had their number this year. So, you know, there's also the other part of the fan base that I think kind of realizes who they are as a team that 
they've not really shown much consistency throughout the year, you know, and you think that, okay, just sell the guys that you can sell and do what he can do the rest of the season. You know, bring Story back, get him into the swing of things so that he's ready to go by the start of next season. You know, but I think there still is something to be said for this team trying, you know, and trying to see if they can make a postseason push. I think the front office that thinks that they will, you know, but I think these two games against Atlanta are really going to go a long way because this is an Atlanta team that's been unbelievable over the last couple of months. And I think if the Red Sox can somehow take both of these games, I think people should be ready to, you know, fully embrace this team as a team that can make a serious run in October. Um, but it is interesting that I mentioned Toronto because the Red Sox are hosting the Jays the first weekend in August. So, you know, you got these two against Atlanta, got a bit of a West Coast trip in San Francisco and Seattle, you know, around the deadline. And then post-deadline, it's Toronto. And, yeah, I mean, that could be a largely important series for both of those teams. So I think, again, I try to make, you know, where this team was at a couple weeks ago, try to, you know, limit it to these eight or nine game segments. And I think this is another perfect segment, eight games. Atlanta, San Francisco, and Seattle. You know, I think this team does need to go at least five and three for me to really kind of be like, okay, I can start to believe in this team. They go four and four, which I think there's a decent chance. You know, where are they once they play Toronto? Are they four games back? You know, but then at that point, you know, you're going to have an idea of what they've done at the trade deadline and really have an idea of how they're going to approach, you know, the rest of the season. So, you know, both Atlanta and San Francisco, I believe, are in playoff spots. So it's not exactly going to be, you know, easy next five games. But, you know, I think after those five, you know, the front office may be having an idea of what they're going to try to do with the deadline. So it'd be kind of interesting to see. Um, but I think, you know, statistically, Devers has been great post, post all-star break, you know, Turner continues to be really, really good. You know, the Red Sox are, you know, not missing much going from J.D. Martinez to Turner. Um, and Casas has been awesome recently. His batting average now up to 247, has 14 home runs, 36 RBIs. So, you know, look out because maybe he gets to 20 home runs before the season's over. Um, and obviously Duran's been great as well. So, you know, hope that the offense continues to hum hope that the pitching continues to to hold up you know I think Bayo is on the uh, paternity list so maybe he's back in the Atlanta series I think John Schreiber who is one of the Red Sox best relievers last season I think will be activated ahead of the Atlanta series so some guys might be coming back I think Trevor Story is uh, starting rehab or no started rehab last week in Portland will play in Worcester I believe 
today or tomorrow. So who knows? Maybe there's a chance he's on that he's on that West Coast road trip. Um, I think certainly his addition would help this team immensely. I think not only his defense, but his hitting. Because I think defensively shores up that middle infield, but also adds another adds another serious bat to your offense. So, you know, who, who knows? It's been it's been tough to kind of nail down what this team is. But I think if they can get through the next five, winning three or winning four, I think they're still in pretty good shape. You know, and hopefully that Toronto series comes in and the Red Sox, you know, have a chance to get into a playoff spot. I would not be surprised, you know, if they come back from that West Coast trip and they're like a game back and they take over Toronto's spot, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, But seriously, there's a lot of work to be done before that point, you know, with the eight games with Atlanta, San Francisco, and Seattle. But, you know, this team, I think, can surprise you at times, both, you know, positive and negative. But um, I think that there's a good chance this team uh, tries to remain competitive at the deadline. But obviously, we'll talk more about that later this week. So I think going to move on, talk a little bit about the revolution, obviously breaking from MLS action, second place in the Eastern Conference. Revolution lost on penalties to the New York Red Bulls in their first game in the League's Cup. So they're playing in a three-team group with San San Luis and the Red Bulls. So I think in this competition, you get two points for a win, one point if the game goes past regulation. So the Revs did pick up a point in this game. So the Red Bulls lead the group. Revolution will play San Luis on Wednesday night this week. And so we'll see if the Revs can advance to the knockout stage. So I thought it was interesting looking at the Revs lineup you know, in this game over the weekend, because that was something that John Anisiano and I had talked about, you know, how do the Revs approach this game or approach this cup? You know, are they going to be playing their best guys? Are they going to be resting some of their best guys? And I think we certainly got the answer. The Revs playing pretty much their starting group uh, Bobby Wood and Gustavo Bo started the game. Noel Buck, Ian Harks, Carlos Heel in the midfield with Mark Anthony Kay, who came over uh, from Toronto. So he played in this game. Revs had a group or their central defending Romney and Farrell, and then by on Jones, by and Jones on the right and left. So, you know, Revs not really doing this playing younger guys. They did play kind of their, most of their starters. So, you know, interesting to see how they approach the next game. Um, But obviously Red Bulls win on penalty kicks. And so that next game is Wednesday night. Noel Buck did get back into the lineup, which was good to see. John and I talked about that as he had been dealing with a bit of an injury. So good to see him back. So again, at Atletico San Luis, 
The Revs will play Wednesday night at Gillette. Or is it Gillette? No, I think it's on the road. Either way, 7.30 start. I think that the that is on Apple TV, so can watch it, but see how the Revs do, see if they get into that knockout stage. Um, but their next MLS game is Sunday, August 20th against Nashville, F- Nashville SC. So I think that's probably it for the Revs. Probably going to go quickly through these next couple topics as there's not too much. You know, it was reported the Celtics and Jalen Brown will resume negotiations this week on uh, his contract. I think just for me, not really that worried about it. I know that this is something that probably should have been finished already, but, you know, who knows? I think Jalen has a lot of, you know, things that he does being involved with the Players Association, you know, being involved in the Boston community and things like that. So, you know, could just have a lot of scheduling conflicts. You know, I think that the Celtics want him to be here, and I think he wants to be here as well. So I really think it's just kind of haggling over, you know, the the fifth-year player option, you know, and, and things like that. So I really don't think it's a concern. You know, I think he'll sign at some point. Um, but I think... I feel good about this team. I know that a lot of people still, I think, are concerned about their defensive level. You know, losing Grant Williams and losing Marcus Smart. But I do think if you think about the types of guys that the Celtics have brought in this offseason, including Porzingis, all these guys have really good length. You know, all these guys are very solid kind of athletic defenders. I mean, maybe Porzingis, maybe not. I mean, when he's healthy. But I think you have O'Shea Brissett that you signed, Delano Banton that you also signed, two guys that can guard multiple positions, have really good length, you know, can get to the basket and score in a variety of ways. You know, Jordan Walsh, I think same way. You saw him a little bit in summer league for being a really dogged defender and someone that surprisingly can finish pretty well at the basket with contact. And I think you think about those three guys specifically, length, athleticism. And I think the Celtics may just be okay. You know, and I think Porzingis is a better defender than people give him credit for. He's another guy that can be a deterrent at the rim So the Celtics aren't relying on Rob Williams to do all that. You know, it's going to be curious to see if he and Rob start together. I think particularly when you consider watching some of the workout videos that Rob Williams has posted where he's, you know, taken some jump shots, you know, that he's taken shots outside the paint. And I think it's great to see him working on his game offensively because I think that's a whole nother avenue that the Celtics can open up with his offensive ability. So it's not just catching lobs, cleaning up offensive rebounds. He can actively be a person looking for shots. Not saying that Rob needs to attempt 15 shots a game, but I think just the idea that, okay, he can pop out for a jump shot, you know, and make them consistently. 
because in the rare times that he has done that over the last couple of years, he shoots a pretty good percentage. So I think I'm, I'm excited about the kind of new things that they can do offensively, but I also think with Sam Cassell, with Charles Lee, you know, what kind of defensive system do the Celtics work with? Do they completely overhaul what they have been doing? Do they kind of work with what guys are familiar with? It's going to be interesting to see, but I think once people kind of move past the emotional attachment of losing a guy like Marcus Smart, I think they're going to realize that this team is going to be very, very good once again. Um, and look, I understand it. I really do. I know how much people loved Marcus and all the great things he did while he was here, both on the court and off. But I think that watching this team in this in the playoff run this past season and just seeing how uneven they were, it kind of, to me at least, was obvious that they needed kind of a big change. And I think, unfortunately, you know, someone has to be like the, the sacrifice, I guess. But, you know, something had to happen. Um, and I think, unfortunately, it had to come at the expense of a guy that I think means a lot to a lot of people. But, you know, you are trying to win a championship. And if you recognize that a certain combination just doesn't work and they continue to kind of struggle with the same things over and over, you know, at some point you have to make a change, you know, and I think that's ultimately what happened. So I do think that there's valid concern that the Celtics people maybe think that they got worse in the off season, but I think that people are going to be surprised that this team is going to be, I think, I think is going to actually be maybe better defensively than what they were last year. I think looking at some of the skill sets of some of the guys that they've brought in. So I think that was kind of really my only, you know, Celtics thoughts will obviously talk about preseason when it gets closer. Celtics will have 20 roster spots in training camp. I think that they have 17 at the moment, so maybe they bring in some other guys. You know, I think they're probably done making major moves. Maybe they bring in someone else, like an Austin Rivers, for example. Um, I would hope that they can bring back Blake Griffin. I think he'd be a great fit again. So, you know, I think just things like that to pay attention to. I don't think that they're bringing in, like, another kind of rotation player. I think that Brogdon is here to stay, which I think is the right decision. Because I think, you know, he had a really good year last year. I know a lot of people kind of forget that because he, you know, hurt his arm in the playoffs and clearly was not the same player. But I think he's going to be, you know, very solid once again give you kind of that scoring guard off the bench, which I think they've needed at times over the last couple of years. So, you know, again, don't expect them to do anything major, but 
you know, I think there's still room to be able to to add something to this team before, you know, training camp starts or even in training camp. Who knows? So I think we're going to move on and talk a little bit about the Bruins. Not too much to report. Bruins still with Jeremy Swayman and Trent Frederick to come to an agreement on for their new contracts. Bruins with $5.4 million in salary cap space. I think that Jeremy Swayman's hearing for arbitration is scheduled for the 29th, which I believe is Saturday, if I look at the calendar very quickly. Yes, so it's Saturday, so that's his arbitration date. It'll be interesting to see if Bruins come to an agreement with him this week, as you are allowed to negotiate prior to the uh, the hearing. Fredericks, I think, is a couple days after, so be interesting to see if the Bruins can come to an agreement with both of those guys. You know, Don Sweeney, in the history of being general manager, has never uh, gone to arbitration. So I think that there's a good chance Bruins come to terms, come to terms with both of those guys this week. Um, I think there was a goaltender, Ilya Samsonov, for the Maple Leafs that went to arbitration, came back with $3.55 million for one year, which I believe was less than what he was thinking he was going to get. So perhaps a good sign for the Bruins. So if, you know, Swayman goes to arbitration, does he get a little bit less? You know, Bruins have to really be, you know, smart about this because with the, like, very little cap space, they have to leave a little bit, I think, in case Bergeron or Krejci comes back. Um, but I do think Bruins will be able to come to terms with both of these guys, you know, get them under the cap. You know, it is possible that Swayman in particular takes like a little less money on a one-year deal so that he can cash out next summer um, with a larger deal. I think just the situation that the Bruins are in, he might not be able to get, you know, what he feels is his full value. Frederick is hard to figure out. And I think, you know, don't know what would happen in arbitration, but I think the Bruins can figure something out with both of them um, before the before the deadline or before the the hearing. So those were kind of just last little bits, you know. Really, nothing on Perjuran and Krejci. You know, I think the general feeling from I think some people that you know follow the team closely and cover the team, you know, believe that Bergeron will come back and Krejci won't. But obviously, we'll wait and see what happens between now and then. You know, I think the decisions for both of them was like early August that the Bruins made that known. So, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see if that's a similar, you know, timeline for both of those guys. So I think we're going to move on from the Boston teams, get into some other notes from around sports take a look at some mlb notes a couple of players inducted into the baseball hall of fame yesterday fred mcgriff and scott Rowland. so congratulations to the both of them getting in shohei otani hit his 36th home run of the season and possibly his last home game 
for the Angels before the trade deadline. It'll be interesting to see if he gets moved. Um, Aaron Judge facing live pitching for the first time since his injury. And we're going to take a look at some of the standings. So division standings, Baltimore has overtaken Tampa Bay for first place in the AL East. Two games in front of Tampa Bay. 61-38, and 38, Baltimore's record. The Twins are ahead in the Central. Three games over the Guardians. They are 53-48. and 48. Texas still remains in first place in the West with a three-game lead over Houston. National League East, the Braves were coming into Fenway tomorrow, setting the pace the entire league at 64-34. and 34. Their lead is 11 and a half games over Philadelphia and Miami. In the central, Milwaukee with a half game lead over the Reds, and then the Dodgers with a four game lead over the Diamondbacks and the Giants. So in the wild card standings, Tampa Bay and Houston, and Toronto with the Red Sox and Yankees, two games back, Angels four back, and the Mariners four and a half. In the National League, the Reds, the Diamondbacks, and the Giants in wildcard positions with Philadelphia and Miami just a half game back. So we're going to take a look at some NFL notes. The NFL Hall of Fame game, the first preseason game of the season, is August 3rd. So that's coming up, the Jets and the Browns. Jets have been selected to be the uh, Hard Knocks team, maybe despite their despite their misgivings about it, but it's always kind of an interesting thing to watch during training camp. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo finally passing his Raiders camp physical, so he's ready to go. Um, Chris Jones is not reporting to camp for the Kansas City Chiefs. Apparently he's far apart on a new contract. And Bryce Young, the number one pick, signed his, signed his rookie deal with the Panthers over the weekend. As teams, I think, and rookies starting to report to training camp. So Patriots, rookies reported Friday, veterans report tomorrow, and then camp starts with practices on Wednesday. So I'll take a look at some NBA notes. The NBA Board of Governors approving the Hornets sale. Uh, Kemba Walker signing a one-year deal with AS Monaco in, I think, Italy. So, I think, other than that, the Bulls and the Io DeSumo agreeing to a three-year, $21 million contract. And also the Thunders head coach, Mark Dagonel, getting a multi-year extension. He's really done a great job turning around that franchise over the last couple of years. So now we're going to jump to the NHL, talk about some notes here. So as we mentioned, Ilya Samsonov with going to arbitration awarded a one-year deal worth $3.55 million. Philip Kurashev and Chicago coming to 
an agreement after arbitration on a two-year deal. Vince Dunn agreeing with the Kraken right before his hearing was scheduled to happen. So they avoid arbitration. And Dave Haxtell, the head coach, or the yeah, head coach for the Kraken, um, signed a new contract extension. So I think before we let you folks go, give you a little update on the Women's World Cup. Team USA with their first game over the weekend on Friday night. A 3-0 win against Vietnam with Sophia Smith scoring twice, making her debut. Lindsay Horan also with the also scoring as well. So it's it's an exciting, exciting year for Team USA with a lot of you know younger players coming in and kind of making their impact. I mean, certainly there's still a lot of players that you remember from the previous World Cup, you know, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino, Rose Lavelle, some of those players. But some good opportunities for some of the younger, younger players to get an opportunity. So uh, the difficult thing about the Women's World Cup being in Australia and New Zealand, the games are either very late at night or very early in the morning. So unless you are a serious night owl or an early riser, it's a hard to hard to uh, watch some of these games, but Team USA did play at 9 o'clock on Friday night, so I guess it's not horribly late. Uh, the next game for Team USA is against the Netherlands uh, Wednesday night at 9. So if you're interested, you can tune into that on Fox. And then their second game is next Tuesday at 3 a.m. on Fox. So, yeah, good luck if you're staying up to watch or getting up to watch that game, but I should be able to watch Wednesday night's game, Team USA against the Netherlands in their second group um, game. So each team in the World Cup has played one game, I think, except for Colombia and South Korea, who play tonight. But then after that, every team will have played once. So again, Team USA Wednesday night against the Netherlands. So I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, great to be back, and we'll talk to you more on Friday with Evan Greasing returning to talk Red Sox and kind of see what their options are ahead of the trade deadline next week. So, yeah, we'll let you guys go. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you on Friday.